Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Have you ever wondered why relationships are so hard? Why you've never had the relationship you've always dreamed about? Whether we know it or not, our negative sexual experiences and mistakes are holding us hostage and keeping us stuck in unhealthy relationship patterns. Enter Unraveled, Pure Desire's newest women's resource. Through personal stories, strategic tools, weekly self-care lessons, and so much more, Unraveled will become your guide to managing love, sex, and relationships. Visit puredesire.org slash unravel to pre-order and start to see how God wants to transform your relationships and redeem your story. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here with my co-host as always, Nick Stumbo. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay, my oh my, what a wonderful day. Oh man. Uh, You should just be thankful I didn't choose my other Disneyland theme song. Disneyland. It's a small world. Uh, okay, you. Thank you. I'm very appreciative <laughs> that we didn't use that one. Do you uh, know what ride? That's the theme song from though. Zippity Duda. I don't think I do. Splash Mountain. Oh, and the Briar Rabbit. You yeah. know what's funny is that ruins Splash Mountain. <laughs> it does, especially when you're on it like the fourth time, oh and my that gosh. song just plays on a loop. I don't like that. Well, we're gonna move on. Okay, we is that, are you okay with that? Okay, cool. With us today is our friend, Robert, a.k.a. Bobby, a.k.a. Bob, a.k.a. Roberto Vandermeer. Uh, we'll just call him Bob today. Bob is one of our clinicians. He's a pastor, a business owner, and a member of our speaking team that travels around the country. We're excited to have you with us in the flesh. Bob, welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm just trying to work past the Song of the South over there. <laughs> it's good to see you, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Uh Okay, I just some of them start with a train wreck, but we're just going to keep going, all right? So today, I'm not talking about you. Bob's looking at me no, like I said something wrong. I'm not wrong. a train. Well, I mean, sometimes. Sure what now. are you saying about my intro, Trevor? Today, we are talking <laughs> through one of our recovery tools, and it is called the Escape Plan. Uh, we'll talk through what the tool is, how to use it, how it helps on the journey to recovery from sexual addiction. So, uh, Bob, let's just jump in right away. Let's start with this. What is the Escape Plan? It is a plan to help you escape, quite literally. Uh, <laughs> I just am thinking escape to which mountain right yeah. now. So I'm thinking, yeah, of. we're stuck on Disney. Or yeah, we... young Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> he's forever young in our hearts. Uh, the escape plan is a is a resource. It's a tool that we have that uh, not only is it available on our website, but we use it specifically within our addiction recovery group. So the seven pillars or the eight pillars, uh, and it's it's helpful in um, helping recovering addicts uh, prepare for what is the inevitable mm-hmm. and that inevitable is then being faced with the challenges of purity and sobriety. Hmm. Yeah. Because the way I've, I've viewed it or, or seen it is really is a plan for when something bad happens. I think a lot of us, we tend to just think I'll get to the moment and be able to make those decisions and be clear thinking, clear minded and be yeah. able to move forward. But the escape plan is actually doing the work beforehand so that I'm prepared for those moments when they do come because they are going to come. Those moments are going to happen where I'm triggered or something bad happens in life. Yeah, I like it. It reminds us that purity is not about perfection, that purity is about having a plan. And life mm, is going to put us in a place where we're, where we're, really, we're really challenged to maintain our purity, whether it's because of choices we've made kind of to fall into an old pattern or sometimes just the world around us. Suddenly we might be exposed to something we were not anticipating and there are some crucial decisions. And I, I think for me in the past, the goal was just 
well, I'll, I'll try harder not to respond to it next time. And as, as we all know, that's not much of a plan. So the escape plan is really a way to lay out, here's some concrete, specific steps we can be ready for when we're in a moment of real temptation uh, to return to those old behaviors. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think about when I was, in kid, when I was a kid in, in an elementary school and we used to do like the shelter-in-place drills, and this is back in Las Vegas, uh, and there's no natural disasters in Las Vegas. It's like just too hot. Preparing for Vegas, earthquakes. Right? Yeah, preparing for the swamp cooler to stop working. <laughs> I mean, and and so for as, as kids, it was always kind of a joke because it's like there's we, we don't expect any of these natural disasters to be happening to yeah. us. Uh, and so the escape plan, so to speak, for those drills was something that we never really paid much attention to, even though we always had to do them at school. Right. But the reality for the recovering addict is that this is – uh, a drill that they need to know because they like those natural disasters in that sense will happen for them in their recovery. They will be tempted. They will find themselves in an environment that they weren't expecting or, or prepared for, or, you know, the nuances of life, how it's, as it's dynamic they're, they're, they'll find themselves in a spot that they need to have that escape plan already in their mind and already yeah. rehearsed. Yeah, that's good. So Bob, in the escape plan that pure desire often uses, uh, there's three vital elements that are needed in order for it to be effective. Uh, the first one that we want to talk about is this, a clear understanding of the alarms in your life. Will you talk us through this first piece? What does that mean to have a clear understanding of the alarms in your life? Yeah, those alarms come from a couple different places. Some of them are what we're feeling. <clears throat> so like actually what's going on yeah. in our heart as we're going through the day and, and we begin to notice those. Some of those alarms are finding ourselves in a location. So let's just say at home alone hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. in the office late at night or you know things like that. And so the alarms are, are really a combination of things that we know in the past are, you know, danger, danger that we right. need to just keep an eye out for. Yeah. And so really they're thoughts, feelings, actions, locations, or scenarios that have been problematic for somebody in the past. Yeah. And you can't do this without self-awareness, without paying attention. Uh, this last week, my commitment to change was to keep a limbic uh, journal. So like what triggers me, what, and I remember my, my group looking at me like, are you sure you want to do that this week? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, but what I found, and this is just interesting, you're getting a, a, I guess a front row seat in my recovery. When people, uh, cut me off on the road, that is one of the things, honestly, I have six of them right now in my journal from this last week. And there are eight times that I've gone limbic and six of them are when I'm in the car. <laughs> and so I'm learning there's an alarm there that, that there's something going on emotionally that I got to, I got to number one, identify, which I think I have, but now I have to process through what's really going on. Why is that happening? And then be aware that that can affect the rest of my day if I continue to carry. So that's when I think of alarm, uh, that's just a practical thing I've found yeah. over the last yeah. week. Yeah, you guys can't tell, but but Trevor's face actually got red when oh, he was talking so, about it. Yep. He's getting fired up now. Him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and I think like any alarm, you know, if you think about them in an, like an airplane or in a vehicle, there are points at which if, if your fuel, let's say, goes below a certain point, it triggers the alarm. If the oil pressure goes above hmm. a certain point. And, and someone in a thoughtful kind of wisdom sort of place made a decision about what that threshold would be to trigger the alarm. And I think in our lives, we have to do the same thing is to say, what are those places or thoughts or patterns that they need to trigger an alarm in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so we encourage people maybe to look back at like the last six months or year, however far back they need to go when they could identify, here are some places I mm-hmm. I crossed lines or I made decisions that I regret. What were the commonalities there? What were things that they could start to say when I feel this? Like when I start to feel the temptation just to isolate online by 
you know, doing fantasy sports or whatever, you know, maybe isolating on Facebook. Yeah. For someone that might be, oh, that's my threshold. That's an alarm that says, hmm, I'm probably not in a healthy yeah. place. And so just uh, to think through what are those places I can say, here's a threshold that when I feel this or when I think this, there needs to be a little alarm that goes off that it would say, oh, I need to take some steps and implement my escape plan. Yeah, I think a good a good place to find some of those is from the three circles exercise. So mm-hmm. in the middle circle, you're going to find things that um, I, we use the phrase tripwires or guardrails, or but really they're they're all they're alarms for us to say, okay, like I'm you know at the mall by myself, right? Or I'm you know whatever those things that you put into that middle circle. If you haven't done that exercise, I recommend you go and do that exercise. Yeah, uh, it's in the Seven Pillars book. Yeah, um, but to be able to find the things that you know already that not morally right or wrong, but that that kind of begin the cascade of moving towards relapse. And yeah. then also to go back and look at your crash site analysis, if you had any relapses or acting out, to go back and look at those and see what the scenarios were, because there's probably a pattern in those. So the first one, then understanding of what the alarms are, and then we'll move to the second element, which is facing the reality of your addiction. Can you talk us through what that means, facing that reality? Yeah, so there's a couple tools that 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 either you have done or will or will do if you're working through um, the recovery material that we have, uh, and one of them is the matrix of addiction. The other is the arousal template, and those ones just help people to really come to a clear idea, or I guess face the reality of what their addiction or behavior has been. Mm-hmm. And and the reason that it may be important to go back and look at those is because we we don't want to have. Uh, we don't want to minimize any of the situations or scenarios that we might find ourselves in. And just to say, well, everybody's home alone sometimes. Well, sure, everybody's home alone sometimes, but not everybody's a sex addict that acts out every time they're home alone. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. to have a realistic perspective of what your your particular scenarios are that, that you know are challenging or lead to relapse or have been a part of relapse. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's good to get specific to see those things, like you're saying, Bob, that it could be when I feel rejected, my go-to has been to relapse and seeing that pattern when I'm um, in a, on a hotel or on a trip alone or in a hotel room alone, I've relapsed. When I take a road trip, I've relapsed. When it's the holidays, I've relapsed. And, and if we see that, uh, that matrix of addiction and the steps we're taking, that's where we can implement the escape plan because we know if, if I don't get off of this pattern, that a few steps down the road is relapse. And so it's saying instead, here are different choices I can make to redirect that pattern before it gets out of control. You know, and really the, the further up on that pattern we can set our escape plan into yeah. motion, the more successful we'll be. Yeah. Because the further we get into our tempting situations or into those old patterns, the more that limbic brain is starting to take over and say, well, we know where to go with this. Right. And then we're, we're trying to corral something that's really starting to get away from us. And I mean, you need to take this into consideration too. It takes a lot of courage to be honest about your addiction. It takes a lot of courage to... Uh, because I think that, you know, if you're talking about going up the line, if you will, a little bit further, maybe it's uh, maybe it is being home alone. Maybe that is uh, Macaulay Culkin just came to mind. Uh, maybe, you know, being home alone, uh, one of the things that you may have to do is make plans for the moments that you know you're going to be home alone. Uh, and you'd think you compare yourself to other people like, well, everyone else obviously can do that. Like you said, Bob, but I think that one of the things that you really need to understand is going to take courage and it's going to be really difficult to be honest about your addiction and be honest about the things you struggle with, because, uh, unless you're willing to be honest n- no movement's ever going to happen. And I know for me, that was something that really tripped me up as I kept minimizing and moralizing my way out of it. When in reality, that wasn't the courageous thing. The courageous thing was to step forward and say, look, I'm an addict. I struggle with this and I need to do what's necessary to be healthy. Yeah. 
Yeah, everybody's got a Joe Pesci knocking on the back door. <laughs> That's but, right. You know, That's right. <laughs> we need to navigate those. Yeah, well. we love Joe Pesci. Uh, and just a reminder that those exercises that we talked about, the matrix of addiction and the arousal template, that's not just the seven pillars, but mm-hmm. you can also find the arousal template in the eight pillars as well. Yeah. Men and women need this. This yes. isn't just a, a plan for men. It's for anyone that finds they go back to places they don't want to go. Uh, so, Bob, the final element is to have concrete, specific steps that you must take to escape the downward spiral. So what, what does this look like? Yeah, I think some of them are just the practical steps of like getting up and leaving the room yeah. or making plans ahead of time. So again, we'll just for a simply a simple one, uh, the home alone thing. So I know that on this day at this time every week that I'm home alone and that that is in the past that I've acted out or relapsed at that time. And so to plan ahead, an action step would be don't be home alone. Right. Invite a friend over, mm-hmm. like go out and do some gardening or mow the lawn. Right. You know, go into the garage and do some work, take the kids and go do something. So just to take a practical step of like, I can just go do something at this moment. If you know um, that it's at at work, you know, midday uh, after a certain meeting where you feel rejected, then at that time, okay, I'm always going to make a phone call to somebody in my group at that time. So they can be practical things like that that are simple steps. Um, But like prophetic promises or personal promises, that's Mm -hmm. always a great go-to. That even before you step out of the room or before you make a call to run through things like that. But just to to look at, okay, what can I do? Can I leave the room? If not, what can I do in the room? Can I leave the situation? If I can, great. What am I going to go do? Right. Uh, And not just say, I'm going to leave the house. Great. Well, you're going to leave the house and go where? Mm Mm-hmm. Because yeah. um, you leave the house and go to some other place that's triggering, obviously right. it doesn't work. And I think being, because uh, one of the things I found success in is scheduling out my day. If I know I'm going to be home alone, actually scheduling it out and including somebody, whether it's my wife or it's a group member saying, hey, my wife's going to be gone with my kid at this point uh, from this this time to that time. And here's my plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And even if you have to schedule in, you know, a nap time, that's great. Like go for it. Um, but I think that one of the, the I guess the, the ways that I have messed up in this is I just assume that I'll only get triggered if a random woman walks in front of me naked and then I want to act out sexually. It's like, no, it could be an array of things. It could be watching TV and seeing a commercial. It can be uh, listening to a song and how, you know what I mean? Being really, really aware of, of those things. Uh, cause the, Sexual addiction doesn't just walk in the door and say, hey, I'm here. It kind of just creeps up on you in a lot of ways, and so does acting out. And so being really specific um, and understanding that you have to have a plan going into the day, because if you don't, then uh, for me, when I was bored and when I'm lonely and I have no real direction for the day, that was a huge place I always found myself relapsing and acting out. So being really specific and having a plan for the actual day is helpful. Yeah, and I think to those adjectives of being concrete and specific, you could also add that it should be written. Because when mm. we're when we're feeling temptation or we're feeling triggered, it's really easy to forget or to kind of fudge on an idea and be like, well, I, I'm not really sure what I was going to say. Yeah. Just like with our guardrails in general, that if we don't write them down, commit to them, you know, share them with a group member or with our spouse to say, here are the guardrails I'm following – we're much, much less likely to follow them because in our own minds, we start to rationalize or excuse why we're doing something differently. And so just like with an escape plan, we need to have them in writing so that we can see for ourselves, no, here's what I've said I will do when I begin to feel triggered, when I hear those alarms going off. Uh, Because if if you can't identify quickly what you've said, we tend to forget. And the other thing that comes to mind is uh, the brain has an amazing ability to forget pain. So shortly after a relapse, we're super committed to having an escape plan for next time. And here's how I'm going to do it differently. 
But we get a month or maybe even a week away from that relapse and we feel like I'm doing better and things are going pretty well and I'm, I probably won't ever relapse again yeah. and I don't really need those steps. And yeah. so the things that were really, really clear, you know, right after a relapse can become really fuzzy unless we, you know, make them specific and write them down. Uh, so that's just a huge encouragement I'd make as people are putting together this escape plan. Yeah. Yeah. One other, one other thought with it is, you know, we were talking about some of the scenarios that we can, that we can know are going to happen. So we know every day at this time or, you know, every once a month at this time we do this thing, we go out of town or whatever, but really with the escape plan, we also want to be able to use this for things that we don't know are happening. Like most disasters, Mm -hmm. most time that you need an escape plan. And so the mental rehearsal of, Hey, when I start to feel flooded, that this is what I do yep. and to have that written down. So, right. so it doesn't matter what the situ- what the scenario or what the setting mm-hmm. is, but if you start to feel flooded then in your escape plan, then you know you're going to get up, leave the room, make a call right. and to actually mentally rehearse that because otherwise when that natural quote-unquote disaster happens, we're going to be yeah. panicked and, and yeah. full of shame and tunnel vision and, well, I can't admit that I'm feeling this way. Well, that's the whole purpose of this right. is to mentally rehearse this ahead of time yeah. uh, in our you know in our prayer and our meditation mm-hmm. time, writing it down on paper, things like that. Well, and Heather uh, on staff, Heather Kolb says this, that your brain doesn't know the difference between mental rehearsal and what's actually happening. And so you're actually preparing yourself and your body is responding, your brain brain is responding as if you're in that situation. So mental rehearsal could be huge. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we know is crucial in recovery is we're better together. That that in this whole arena, isolation, being alone, battling with no help is is really a no-win situation. And so because of that, uh, Bob, who should be involved uh, as we put together our escape plan? Who do we communicate it to? How, how do we involve others in this process? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think anybody that is in our group so, yeah. you know, whether it's the seven pillars or eight pillars, I mean, whoever's in that group with us, these are people that, that should just know the plan. Right. Reason being because they they might be able to identify some of these things that should be setting off an alarm for us, and maybe we haven't noticed the alarm yet or yeah. heard the alarm yet. Yeah. So those people for sure. And then if I think if you've been working in recovery for a little while with your spouse and you've at least made it past, say, a formal disclosure, then I think that this escape mm-hmm. plan would be a great thing to incorporate into your health with them. Uh, because now hopefully you're working together towards health as opposed to just trying to hang on for dear life to get through a disclosure or something like that. Um, because then again, you can, you can begin to help each other in a, mm-hmm. in a helpful way, as opposed to like, Hey idiot, didn't you notice this right kind of way? Yeah. And so I think that those would be, would be really helpful. Um, if you've given out like cards to anybody in your group to let them know about your faster scale and things to look out for, mm-hmm. then those might be helpful people as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think too, if if you work in a you know a church or a ministry or a place where your coworkers um, are people who are supportive of this journey, just because we spend so much time at work, I think it's good if you can involve people or if if you travel a lot for business and someone you travel mm-hmm. with knows what are the kind of scenarios or situations that you are actively trying to avoid right. and why, uh, because otherwise it can it can become kind of awkward uh, at times. You know, one of the I think biggest things that is a part of most people's escape plan is some form of fleeing a situation that if something is yeah. triggering, going to a different room, mm-hmm. going, you know, going somewhere else. And if, if you haven't communicated to people why you might need to leave a room, like where's, where are they going? What's going on here? So if you're able to clue people in that you're around regularly, it right. just can be helpful so that they know to be supportive and not questioning, 
you know, what's going on in that moment. Yeah. So what are major pitfalls then? So when men and women are filling out this escape plan, they're putting something actually down on paper, putting a plan in place. What are the major pitfalls that you've seen, Bob, with people, with people doing this, uh, this plan and preparing for it? Yeah, I think some of it um, is not being precise. Mm. So with the action steps, not having something that, you know, is actually a a precise plan uh, that they're going to work through. So not having that written out, not having talk through with people. Uh, I think the other one is having something that isn't specific to them. So not actually thinking through this and saying, what's going to help me? Uh, so sometimes they'll do something that somebody else did because it's just easier to do that. But to say, all right, what, like, what is my re- life like in mm-hmm. reality and how can I respond to this? Um, and so I think one of the ways that it can be helpful is to, again, to throw back to natural disasters, but to think through like, okay, what type of scenario is this? Is this like a tsunami scenario for me where I just need to find higher ground? And so what is higher ground? So it's like, okay, maybe that's actually like going and putting on some worship or like going mm-hmm. and, um, um, you know, finding a group of people that I can run through my prophetic promises with. Uh, or is this like a tornado and right. I need to like find the, the shelter. Right. And so in that it's like, okay, I need to maybe like step aside, get to someplace that's quiet and with some other people that I feel safe. Cause maybe I'm feeling, you know, super like hyper vigilant or mm-hmm. something. And, and being around a bunch of people right now is really scary to me. So I need to get someplace that's safe and small and that's fine. Just think through But again, think through what is specific to you and what's going to be helpful yeah. for you. Don't use somebody else's plan. I think one of the things for me has been, um, and this is just something I would say for really a lot of the tools that we have is don't, don't include people too early in the sense where they're the ones doing it for you. I think that yeah. you need to be, cause you know what's going on, especially if you've started any self-awareness uh, and really pushing into it because you honestly may have some people fooled that, that mm-hmm. uh, you're really not that way. And they may be um, aren't as drastic or severe. I know for me, um, I've got some guys in my group right now who are doing a recovery action plan. They're putting those together. And for me, I'm, I'm trying to take that backseat a little bit and wait until they invite me in and ask questions because I don't want to write it for them. They yeah. know the, the depth of their addiction way better than I do, even though they've shared, even though uh, I know what's going on, the, their full disclosure and all they still know more what's going on under the surface. And so I think that um, involving people too soon can be detrimental. I'm not saying that uh, you have to wait like a week or three weeks. or It's just make sure that you start it, you write it out, and then start to include some people, and they will help you see those, maybe those, those spots that it's too weak and you really need to work on the foundation in different areas. Yeah, and what comes to mind for me as a pitfall is having a plan that is too complex or too many steps involved. Uh, you know, you think about what we learned as kids, if you were to catch on fire, the classic stop, drop, and roll, three words, like you could do it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't teach us, well, first determine if you're wearing cotton or rayon, and if it's cotton, do these three things. And uh, if the fire is yeah. only burning this hot, then you should, it's like, yeah. no one would do that. You yeah. would forget. And right. and I think the same kind of thing happens when people are making their escape plan is they might put on there things like go and meet with my counselor. Well, that's a great idea for health in general, but an escape plan needs to be right now in this moment, I'm feeling triggered and I've got to have something I can do quickly and simply to get to a healthier place. Whereas a counselor usually involves making a phone call, setting an appointment, driving across town, having a free out. And in the moment of intense temptation, you'll just go, I can't do that. And now your escape plan becomes uh, worthless. Or it might be, well, my escape plan is to go meditate on my favorite bench in the park. 
It's like, well, if, if you're not anywhere near that park, you're not going to do that either. So <laughs> right. it really needs to be things that are almost like a, a stop, drop, and roll. Like yeah. Yeah. make a call, quote a verse. Um, another one that I think is really helpful for a lot of men and women is anything to do with gratitude. Uh, so mm, like pulling out a picture of your kids, because usually that's in your wallet or on mm-hmm. your phone, and just remembering things in your life you're grateful for. So anything to do with gratitude can be a quick, simple thing to take your mind away from what you don't have and wish you could. You know, that's lust, what I don't have. Uh, and instead looking at what I do have, that's gratitude. And so uh, avoiding that pitfall of if it's too complex or too many steps in the heat of the moment, either you'll forget or you'll just decide it's too hard and you can't do it. So look to keep them simple, basic, straightforward. And uh, I think we'll be more successful. Unless your counselor has like the bat signal or the bat phone. You yeah. probably, you know, so, I mean, Which I, I know nice. you, yeah, you do, Bob, right? Bob you have the bat phone. The bat yeah. You're a counselor. Yeah, Bob Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, that, that's a good point that sometimes we are looking for someone to be the superhero that totally. saves us. And, and we've got, you know, if again, back to the illustration of being on fire, you can't wait for someone to come save you if you're catching on fire. Like, you've got to take action. Right. And that's really what we're talking about here. The interesting thing about that too, I found, and I know we want to get to the next question, but something I found too, is that when we set stuff up like that, and if we relapse, um, we can blame those people that if I called my counselor and he's not there, or if I somehow someone else let me down or wasn't Mm -hmm. there when I needed them, then we start to blame our relapse and our lack of sobriety on them. You weren't there to pray for me. Right. And that's not on them. That's on you. Like you have to put stuff in place that you can do right away. And yeah, you want to include other people, but their responsibility is not to make sure you stay sober. Their responsibility is to call you back if they miss your call. Yeah. Yeah, no, and for all of the spouses of addicts, uh, group leader facilitators, all that out there, like I hope you heard what Trevor just said. Um, also to be encouraged that when people in your life are relapsing, it's not your fault. Yeah. Um, ultimately, their sobriety and health is theirs. We can play a healthy role in that. Totally. Um, but we can't make somebody sober. Yep. Yeah. And, and that may be a good reminder of what a role is for us if we're the spouse or an accountability partner when someone's confessed or relapsed or gotten honest to say, do you have an escape plan in place yeah. and what is it? And yep. maybe you find they don't have one or they've forgotten it um, or the one they have is unrealistic. And how could you encourage them or work with them to develop one that they could execute better next time? Uh, so, Bob, to, to think about it that way, what are some suggestions you would give listeners for putting together a successful and effective escape plan? Where would where would you encourage them to start? What would make it really good? Yeah, I think some of the, the steps leading up to this, are, we mentioned like the three circles exercise. That's really important to see, okay, to have a bottom line, what is acting out for me, but then also out of a middle circle to understand what are things that could be alarms. If you've never thought through that, you need to think through that because that's an important part of this. Um, if you haven't taken a realistic look at what your behavior has been historically and what your addiction includes, mm-hmm. then it's important that you sit down and go through that because you're not going to have an idea about what you're escaping from and how this whole thing plays out. So there's a little bit of work ahead of time that needs to happen to be able to really put together a good escape plan. Um, but I think ultimately it's just to say, let's, let's just have a realistic look at your life um, about the challenges that you have 
and incorporate other people into that. You know, allow yeah. other people to know the areas that you're struggling with, the times, the scenarios, the mm-hmm. situations, the feelings. Yeah. Uh, and the more that you're doing that, the more you're going to be able to know what it is that you're escaping from yeah. and the effective ways to do that. Um, another kind of a practical point besides that, Nick, you had mentioned like having a picture of your kids, pull that out. Uh, in the escape plan that we have online, uh, we mentioned mementos of change and in there, it's like pictures of your family or medallion or coin or something mm-hmm. that reminds you of some significant spots in your healing process, um, a letter uh, or cards of encouragement that you've gotten from other people, um, some scriptures like we had mentioned, um, even a letter to yourself just saying, hey, this is what I want for me. Yeah. Like, this is my goal. This is what's important to me. And so those are some things that you can have just laying around in your car, yeah. in your wallet, you know, on your phone, whatever. Yeah. And that letter to self, I think, is really helpful when you're able to look ahead and know what are the situations that just tend to create that issue. So for a lot of people traveling or being home alone, uh, that they just kind of think through, hey, when I get to my hotel room in that city, I'm going to pull out that letter to myself. And, and I'm not going to wait till I'm triggered. I'm just going to remind uh, my healthy self what it feels like to be the old self and that I don't want to go back there. And, and that can put you in a healthy mindset. Uh, a couple of the suggestions I would have, we've kind of already mentioned, but I would really encourage listeners to have four or five very simple, basic steps uh, that they have written down and hopefully written somewhere where they can keep it with them as much as possible, that mm-hmm. it's it's in a note on their phone or in a three by yeah, five card in their wallet or purse, that it's it's quickly accessible and there are things you're able to do right away. I, I think of what's been um, my most common escape plan through the nine years of recovery has been basically flee you know, get up and leave whatever room Mm -hmm. or situation I'm in, if possible, pray to just in some way, connect with God, call, call someone from my group and just share where I'm at and then worship, whether that's gratitude or listening to a worship song. And, and so if if I have those four steps in mind, um, I'm much more likely to, to go for it rather than um, avoid it when I'm feeling tempted. And then as we've also alluded to, I think rehearsing that, you know, hopefully for me and others to get up from my desk, to go for a little walk, to pray, to call one of my accountability partners just for a weekly phone call Mm -hmm. is part of my routine. And so now that I'm used to doing it just as a practice, then when I really need it, it's not foreign. It's like, well, these are things I do for health anyway. Now I'm just doing them for a very specific reason. Uh, So any way you can actually practice these steps will make it much more likely that when you need them, you'll actually do it. Hmm. I think another thing too that I would just suggest is viewing this as a living document, not as Mm. something that's static. Once you've finished it once, it's done. Just like really anything in recovery, the the more, and this has just been my, you know, I'm in seven pillars now for the third time and the onion, you know, keeps getting peeled further and further back. I'm starting to see more and more things that are underneath the surface. And in that, my escape plan, my recovery action plan, my three circles, they're all growing in my understanding. Um, and because I think that what can happen is if, if it's just a one and done, if you do this one time and then uh, that's it. Like for me with this, I think one of the things that I tend to feel shame, like if I know that the escape plan has worked for a certain season of my life and then uh, relapse happens, I'm like, what? hold on a second. Like what happened? I thought I had a great plan in place and then I start to feel more shame. And it's like, no, take that as an opportunity to learn, understand more about myself and then make my escape plan different. Let allow it to change because as it changes, I'm going to be changing. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So viewed as a living document, I think would be one of the things I'd say. 
so kind of in that same vein, I mean, just suggestions on, on how to do this better. What would just be, I mean, think about where people are at right now as they're listening to this episode. Maybe they're in uh, the, on the front end of recovery. Maybe they've been in recovery for a while. Maybe they don't even realize recovery is possible. What kind of encouragement would you guys give to them? Uh, you're doing this not because you're horrible or you're disgusting or you're a failure. You're doing this because you want to be healthy. And that's the whole reason that like in, in a building, there is uh, a plan on the wall with the fire escape, like how to get out of the building, you know, why there's tsunami, like escape plans in cities that are on the coast. It's because we want to be alive and we want to be healthy and we want to enjoy our breakfast tomorrow. (laughs) And so the reason that this is important is because, uh, we just want to ensure that the health, that your health, the health of your family is there. So don't approach this as, as something that, well, I have to do this because I'm going to fail. No, like we want you to do this because we want you to be healthy and enjoy your breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great point that using your escape plan is not a sign of failure. Right. It's a sign of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, what came to mind for me when you asked that question, Trevor, in the very early days of my ministry, I was leading worship at a church service, actually on Easter morning, and the fire alarm went off. And I remember one of our elders came down the aisle and said, we need to evacuate now. And the room is packed. And I remember my initial thought was, it's a false alarm. This is stupid. Let's just wait it out. Keep going. But, you know, he was an elder and he was being quite adamant. So we evacuated, you know, several hundred people evacuated this room. And I remember looking back on that and thinking, what if it had been a fire? Like mm-hmm. how foolish would I have felt encouraging people to stay and then imagining, I mean, the chaos that could have happened if there was a, a real crisis, like it was really wise that we did that. And, right. and yet my initial thought was, oh, we, it's no big deal. And I think of that when it comes to this whole journey for sexual purity, there's a little voice in our head that's like, ah, oh, you don't need to do that. You can handle it yourself. It's no big deal. But when I look back at my life, what I realize is I there has never been a time I wish I would have waited longer to make a phone call. Mm -hmm. There's never been a time I wish I would have waited longer to follow my escape plan. But there have been a lot of times I think I I wish I would have made that phone call when I first thought about it. I wish I would have implemented my escape plan when I first felt something going on. But because I didn't, then I look back on things I regret or could have done better. And so that'd be really my encouragement is to follow your escape plan, even if it turns out it was a false alarm. Yeah even if it turns out it really wasn't that mm-hmm. big of a deal because you'll never regret that you took steps for health, yeah. but we will always regret when we ignore those things and end up somewhere, again, we didn't want to go. Yeah. Um, so ignore that little voice that says you can handle it, you're fine. Better just have it be a false alarm and yeah. get into the habit of using your escape plan and, and you'll be glad you did. You guys are so smart. As you guys were answering the question, I'm just thinking of the episode of The Office where Dwight, Dwight Schrute is basically forcing people to mm-hmm. uh, adhere to our yeah. escape plan. Um, no, I just think that um, one of the things I think that we can tend to do is is compare uh, is compare I escape think you plans. Just compared us to Dwight, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was a decent segue. <laughs> True Farms uh, as a professional transition. Okay, no, but I think one of the things uh, for me is just uh, not comparing to another person's escape plan. So if theirs is. Um, not as specific as mine, or if they have things on there that maybe seem weird to me to not feel shame and to not judge that person, but to just understand that recovery is recovery is recovery. What my recovery looks like is not always what uh, others people, other people's might look like. So just be aware of that and do whatever uh, keeps you healthy. Uh, you have to care that much about your recovery and your health. Yeah. Cause it has to work for you. Right. And totally. I think that's the ultimate litmus test is to say, when I'm triggered, does this work? Right. And if it doesn't keep 
coming up with new ideas. Talk yep. to your group. Talk to your counselor. Talk to friends that have gone down this road uh, because that's what you want. And if your plan is super simple but it works, you nailed it. Or if your plan is really, really complex but it works, great. Right. And, and you're just so right on it. You don't need to compare to others but ask, is it working for me? Yeah, Bob, thanks for spending time with us today, helping us talk through this needed tool. Really having an escape plan is key to creating sobriety and and your survival kit uh, for this and for maintaining sobriety moving forward. And I think I've heard you, Nick, say it a lot. The idea is you want to make sure that uh, you repair the ship when it's in the harbor, not when it's out in the middle of a storm. So preparing for the battle, putting safeguards in place beforehand, just essential to living with sexual integrity. Uh, We'll have the escape plan attached to the show notes. We'd encourage you, if you haven't, to create your escape plan. Equip yourself with the best tools for your sexual health. Bob, you're awesome. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Yep. Good to have you, Bob. Thanks, guys. And remember, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe, download, and share. You can also rate and review our podcast. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for others to find the podcast. If you'd like to support the message of hope and healing and developing sexual integrity, go to puredesire.org slash give. For more information about the ministry, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can follow us on social media, at puredesirepdmi. Once again, that's at puredesirepdmi. We'll see you next time. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Nothing about that felt triggering to me. The recovery plans are not just to set it and forget it. I feel when I get in that rut and I'm like, I feel like I need something. I start to actually feel shame about those behaviors. A number of years in my recovery, that was just an area of my life I had to eliminate. And I'm like, oh, now I have OCD. That's fun. Life is not the same anymore. That's appropriate. Asking Mm -hmm. for help, but it's not appropriate just to expect them to do the work for you. 